Well, good morning, church. If you're just joining us, we are continuing in our study of the book of John. Um, it's been a joy last year and uh, this year up through, uh, well, up until probably late spring, early summer to walk through this gospel. And we, mu- we learn much about Christ. We, we behold his glory and we learn a lot about his identity in the book of John. And in this book, Jesus has seven statements about himself that we call the I am statements. And there's a lot there to think about. Uh, there's that perfect number seven. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't lost to Christ as he, as he um, shared these statements. There's those words, ego eimi, uh, I am in Greek, that point us back to the, the very place where the Lord God himself, Yahweh God, revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush saying, I am who I am. And then there's something we learn about Christ with each of these statements. He says in, in, in chapter 6, 35, I am the bread of life. You need nourishment. You need Jesus. I am the, the light of the world. You need illumination and direction. You need Jesus. In verse 8, 12. In verse 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. You want, a, you want eternal life? You want to enter into the, 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 the sheepfold? It's through Christ, through him. But he's the good shepherd, he said in, in chapter 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. He's our shepherd. He's the good shepherd that we follow, who cares for us. He's our eternal hope. In, in, in chapter 11, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in verse 7 of last chapter we looked at, chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You want to know God. You want eternal life. It's in Jesus Christ alone. And so now this morning we come to the very last I am statement in which he says, I am the true vine. So, so what is going on here with this image of the vine? Well, I've got a photo here of an image uh, that's, I think, familiar to all of us. And, and what comes to your heart and your mind when you see this image? Well, it, it's probably a lot of things. Um, hopefully a homeland, hopefully some, uh, an idea, uh, freedom, Something that we're all a part of, but something that's greater than each of us. Something that the people will lay their lives down for. Well, here's another image for you. Um, and these are some uh, Maccabean coins, um, old uh, coins from uh, the Old Testament from Israel. And what do you notice on the right? That there's a vine, right? And so the, the Jew, to the Jew in Jesus' day, that the vine or the vineyard was a symbol of national pride and national life even, because it was the picture of God's covenant with Israel. And so there was patriotism when you thought of the vine. And so part one of this message, we're going to consider the image here that Jesus gives us, that of the Lord's vineyard. And what we see in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, among other places, that Israel was God's Vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 2 is actually poetic, and it's, it's actually kind of the song of a lover turned to distress. We, we read here, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. In other words, sour grapes, bad fruit. 
that was no good. Now, I had a vineyard once, probably didn't know that, um, in Afghanistan. And it was actually um, not something that I planted. Someone planted it many years, even decades before I moved into an old house that we referred to as the museum, and it was in a ruin. Um, the backyard was under several feet of garbage that we cleared out, but the vineyard was alive. And uh, I, I was pretty excited about this vineyard. I'd never had a vineyard before, and I don't re- recall exactly how many uh, vines there were. It was probably eight, but they comprised a beautiful arbor that provided welcome shade during the hot summers, uh, during the um, um, kind of the spring especially, we would hang lanterns, like actual oil lanterns, because we didn't have the electricity back there. Uh, and it was a beautiful place to, to have like a garden party under the vineyard. And, and, and so I, I loved it. And I, I always uh, waited with great hope every spring, because in the spring you would see little grapes, just the, the little things starting to form, right? And, and I, had a, I had a guard named Ernormad who assured me he knew what he was doing. He was the vine dresser and I was, my job was to stay back and let him tend to the vineyard. And he pruned it viciously. In fact, I always was like, Normand, there's nothing left. You're just destroying my thing. He's like, just wait. I know what I'm doing. And every year it produced sour grapes. Uh, I never got any good grapes. And with great anticipation, I'd bring them in and they were always sour. Now, thankfully, and People don't really realize this, but where we lived in Western Afghanistan, uh, some of the best grapes on earth are harvested there, uh, as well as in on the other side of the border of Iran. And so I could go down to the bazaar and I could basically buy a bucket of grapes for about a dollar, okay? So it was no great loss, except for maybe uh, the satisfaction of having a sour vineyard, right? Um, Well, what we see here in verses three through six of Isaiah five is that Israel's failure to produce good fruit, it grieved the heart of God. In fact, judgment was called down on this vineyard. And so we read in verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, in Hebrew, the word translated outcry, sounds just like the word righteousness. So there's kind of a word play going on here. And, and, and so God longed for his vineyard to produce good fruit, and yet it did the opposite. And so there was judgment that came, as we know from history, at the hand of both the Babylonians and the Assyrians on the vineyard. But now Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I am the true vine. That word true, let's not, let's not kind of just skip past that. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of all of that. I am the true Israel. Look to me. And, and God the Father himself is the vine dresser. He is the one who cares for the vineyard. And he knows how to prune and cut and care for this vineyard. So Jesus says in verse one of our text, John 15, that Pastor Ken has already read for us, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
We're going to talk about that in just a sec. That's, that's important for us to stop and think about this morning. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So did you catch that? You either get cut or pruned, but it's gonna, you're going you're gonna to face the blade of the vine dresser if you are a branch in the vine. Did you catch that? All right. So how many times do, did you count the words bear fruit in these verses? Maybe look at the paragraph in your Bible. Um, uh, how, many, how many times? Anybody want to give me a quick count here? What do you see in the first two verses? How many times do we read those terms, bear fruit? Okay, three times. Anybody do a quick count, quick scan of verses 1 through 11? Anybody, anybody want to shout it out? Say again. Okay, I've got people looking at me like I don't want to get it wrong. All right, you might count different than I did, but I, I got six times in verses 1 through 11 that we hear those words bear fruit, okay? Now, it's implied several more times. So, do you think it's important that we bear fruit if we're in the vineyard, if we're a part of this, right? What happens to the fruitless dead branches? Well, in verse 2, it says that God takes them away, the vine dresser removes them. He takes away the fruitless branches that don't have life, right? They may be closely associated with the vineyard, but they're actually dead. They're not alive. He takes them away. Well, verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So there's, there's a stark warning here. And, and this is not the first time that Jesus has given us this warning. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, we can't pass this text and ignore Jesus' stark warning that you, you don't want to be the, the dead branch that is removed and burned in the fire. And notice here, close association with the vine. Now, now some have, have read this and tried to kind of explain that away and said, well, it says in Christ, this must be carnal Christians with no good works that are somehow, you know, uh, in second place in heaven. But that's not what Jesus says in verse 6, right? He said, removed and burned in the fire. That's not, a, that's not an analogy to kind of slipping in the back door of heaven. Okay, that's a stark warning from Christ to those who may be closely associated with the vine, but are dead and prove that they were never truly saved. They never had authentic faith. There was never true sap running between them and the vine. And I'm thinking right here of Judas, for instance. You had a disciple that no one ever questioned, 
right until the end. But he proved to have never truly been Christ. Such that Jesus even said it would have been better for him if he had never been born. And and I wonder, uh, in our society today where it is still um, okay and in some places advantageous to be a, quote, cultural Christian, I, I think this is just something we need to take heed of. And I pray, I prayed this morning with the elders that if there's anyone here this morning who is in association, maybe you consider yourself to be a Christian or part of a church, but there's not a genuine faith in your heart, you've never truly bowed the knee before Christ, the King, and recognized that you're a sinner and said, I believe in you, I depend on you, you alone, I want to follow you. I, I pray that today you'll recognize that fire awaits and that you will flee the wrath to come right into the arms of Christ, and that you too will depend on Jesus, and that you too will be given new life and and truly be in in the vine. We better be sure that we are truly connected to the vine through a living faith. Is there that sap running back and forth? According to Jesus, God is either going to cut off or prune the branches. So so which will it be for you? And, And how do you know? Well, Jesus says in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. One writer put it this way, true disciples of Jesus have a permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. Disciples will bear fruit. It's part of their new nature. According to Jesus, not bearing fruit or bearing bad fruit means not being a believer, and God will cut away that dead branch because he cares about the vineyard. He tends the vineyard, and and the dead branches uh, will not uh, make this vineyard beautiful and fruitful. So as we're going to see in a little bit here, we need to take our sin seriously every day, and we need to make sure that we are reliant on Jesus today. Don't, don't just kind of depend on that faith that you remember having 20 years ago, right? When you made that decision, are you believing in him today? Are you enduring in faith today? That is the mark of a true Christian, of a living branch. Now at this point, Jesus looks at his disciples as we move from verse two to verse three, looks at his disciples who probably honestly look like deer in the headlights, right? And he lovingly reassures them. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So Judas has already departed. So he's looking at the 11 and he's assuring them, you, you're in me, okay? You are clean. I have made you clean. You, you, are, um, you are my branches rooted in the vine. But you know what? Pruning is going to come. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about pruning. Jesus said in verse two, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, now here's the thing. You don't get to prune yourself. You know, if we got to prune ourselves, you know, I'd find a little, a little nip right here that won't hurt at all. And that's probably what I would prune, right? But I, I, I can tell you, God does it and it's going to cut and hurt more than you would like. And he has to because he cares about his vineyard and he wants you to bear fruit and he cares about you. The big picture, the long term that he sees that we don't, he loves you. 
So when, when Jesus talks about pruning, let's, let's not kid ourselves here. He's talking about discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 6, which we looked at a while back, says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now to to kind of shift our analogy just a bit for just a moment here, when I think of discipline, I think of this picture right here. Um, It's a picture from, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, this poor sheep being sheared here. And uh, do you think he likes it very much? Probably not, but is it for his well-being? Absolutely. Is it for his purpose? Yeah, right? Uh, That sheep is there to produce wool. This is in, in England. Uh, I would just say, if I could speak to this sheep, I would just say, be glad that you're not this sheep. Next photo here. Took this one, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago in Afghanistan, right? Um, A little less uh, uh, pleasant, probably, this shearing job. Um, But you know, remember this. The father is the vine dresser, so he is the one who holds those pruning scissors. He's, He's the expert, right? And he loves us. And some of the discipline that we receive as his sheep or his, his, vine, his vines or his branches rooted in the vine, sometimes it is indeed corrective. We, we wander astray and we do need his rod to, to, to bring us back to the straight and narrow. Uh, sometimes his discipline isn't because of a sin specifically. Sometimes it's instructive discipline right? Think about military training or physical fitness training. That is a form of discipline. It's instructive. It's preparatory. Now, when I was thinking about this this week and thinking about the Lord's discipline, I'm, I'm sure we all have a lot of stories. I have some that I'd probably rather not share uh, from this forum. But one, one, one story I did remember was in college. Um, at 20 years old, my junior year, so same age as my daughter, and uh, I, I remember sitting in the um, cafeteria at our university, which is Christian college, right? Uh, and it had two levels. So I'm on the upper level with a group of friends. And I had just come from some ministry event. I had some ministry leadership position thing. And I remember being dressed up and thinking a little too, a little too highly of myself. And down below, I noticed a young woman named Mandy Secord. All right? Now, um, I had heard of her before, and I'd met her, I think I'd had a class with her, uh, and uh, I thought she was um, uh, a lovely young lady, and of which she was, and I decided, feeling maybe a little too confident, a little too good about myself, that, that I was going to, um, this is my opportunity. She was sitting down there with some friends, I noticed an empty seat, and there might have been a little bit of vanity here, like uh, my buddies were going to watch me show them how it's done. So I go down there, and how many of you think it went well for me? Well, in the context, I already said discipline, and of course you know that I was years later able to meet the far lovelier Beth Gray, who became Beth Hamilton, uh, that it didn't work out so well for me. In fact, I should probably just move on here. (laughs) But anyway, um, I did approach Mandy and her friends, and I don't remember truly what the conversation, how it all ensued, or what I got talking about, but I actually did get invited to sit down with them. And so like a total knucklehead, 
uh, I sat down with a group of maybe five or six young ladies, one in the seat right across from Mandy. And in the middle of telling some story, um, the Lord sent a bacon bit that happened to be tucked under my tooth, unknown, right across the table, projected right across the table, and landed right between Mandy's eyes. And unfortunately, it had just enough um, spittle on it to just stick there. And, and, and so Mandy was a very classy lady, so instead of just laughing at me, uh, and sadly, instead of wiping it away, which I really wish she had done, she just looked at me and nodded like continue, to continue. Kids, if you ever do something stupid, the, the best thing you can do is just right away, something embarrassing or stupid, right away, acknowledge it. Just say, I'm sorry, here's a napkin, I'm an idiot, I'm about to leave. But unfortunately, she nodded at me, and I tried to continue telling my story. So, but the problem was, all I could see was this bacon bit, which frankly is a misnomer. It was more like a bacon asteroid that was just attached to her, you know, right between her eyes to her forehead, and she nods to keep going, and all, the world got really, really small, and all I could see was the bacon asteroid there. And I totally forgot what I was even talking about and just started babbling and finally said, I'm sorry, I got to go by, and, and exfilled from the situation. And so it didn't go wonderfully. Um, next time I saw her or any of her associates, um, I, you know, she was coming this way. I was, I was ducking behind a tree or a bush or going the other way. Um, so it was that discipline, and I thought about that. Was that corrective discipline or was it instructive discipline? Well, it's probably a little bit of both, right? Um, And, you know, you may be thinking, well, you know, that's pastor, that's a cute little story there. But the truth is sometimes we go through discipline in life that, that cuts far deeper than just a little bit of humbling, which I needed at that point in my life. I can look back and say, that was instructive. Um, I wasn't yet ready to... Uh, to be a, uh, the, 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 the man for a woman. I had a little more growing to do. Uh, and also I needed a little more humility. And, and so there's a, a, a poem that I came across years ago and, and shared with our church family that talks about God's discipline and how it frankly it hurts and yet how it serves his purpose of love and fruitfulness. And so it says, and the author here is unknown, but it says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which God only understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts up beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's well, let me, let me speak to you living branches here and just assure you, you, you may be going through a time of discipline right now. The vine, that is Jesus, and the vine dresser, the, the one with the scissors, God the Father, they love you. And, and, and they are giving you life right now. 
and they are shaping your life right now through what you're going through into something beautiful. Pastor Matt Carter writes, if you are connected to the vine, God is going to do whatever it takes to cause you to bear fruit. God will cut you and prune you and trim you and chop you. He is not content to let you stay on the vine bearing little fruit. God is ruthlessly determined to shape you into something much better and more beautiful than you are right now. He is determined to make you more like his son, Jesus. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. End quote. The truth is, we Americans really like comfort. We human beings like comfort, and we're committed to it. We spend a lot of money and a lot of energy and time and effort on that. But God has something greater for us, and and we might call it purpose. Do we not long for purpose deep down underneath? And that's a greater endeavor than comfort. And I pray that would be gospel purpose, because that's eternal purpose. Remember the song that we sing, even in the midst of suffering, you're working for our good, working for our good and your glory. One, one pastor wrote, God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. That's true. So if you're going through a, a, a hard time right now, if you're going through some pruning, some, some discipline, I, I hope and pray you, you, can, you can almost smell the breath of God as he is pruning you. You know, I, I, I never loved my dad's discipline, but the truth is, I did love my dad's discipline. You know why? Even as he wounded me, so to speak, um, it, it was never too severe. It was always controlled, and it was for my good, and I always knew that it was done in love, and he always comforted me when he was finished, and I longed for that. So I hope that is true in your heart with your heavenly Father, that you'll be reassured of his love. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So let's remember, Christ is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. And the Father's tool is the scissors. Well, let's talk about part two, the command. So how are we supposed to respond to all this knowledge, the, the truth of this situation, wherever we are? You know, maybe in your life right now, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. Or right now, maybe you're, you're in a time of, you're in a storm, right? Well, Jesus says, verse four, abide in me and I in you. And I, I just, I have to stop and just say, wow. Now, he's not just inviting us, commanding us to abide in him, to remain in him, but he's saying that he will abide in us. It's a two-way relationship here he's talking about. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, 
you can do nothing. So, so how many times can you count the word abide in this passage? All 11 verses, right? Um, I counted up 10 times. And, and there's several more that, that are implied. Abide. This is an important word here that Jesus wants us to remember. Actually, I counted 11. Sorry, not to, I counted 10 and then later I recounted and I think I counted 11. Well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, Pastor Matt Carter writes, the word remain or abide can confuse us. We have a tendency to turn it into an emotion or an experience. I, I remember having a conversation once with a Rastafarian who told me the way he abided was by smoking weed. He's like, you gotta smoke weed, man, you know, and then you get closer to God, you know, and I'm like, you know, dude, I think you're missing it. Um, what Je- I'll get back to Matt Carter here. He says, Jesus is talking about a fixed reality, right? Regard- r- rather than an emotional experience, a fixed reality. He's saying, true disciples are connected to me. We are united together, now abide in me. Remain connected to me. Get your life from me. Live your life out of your connection with me. Pastor Kent Hughes talks about the sap running between the vine and the branches being a metaphor or a a suggestion of the Holy Spirit. He writes, so remaining or abiding is parallel to being filled with the Holy Spirit. We must set aside everything from which we might derive our own strength and merit and draw all from Christ. So, So what we see here with this command to abide is, is, is a reference to a state of union with Christ. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus is talking about a personal relationship. And so brothers and sisters, delight in that relationship. Delight yourself also in the Lord, the psalmist says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And let me tell you, there's nothing that your heart desires more if you are a branch, whether you realize it or not, than the vine, because he is the one who gives you the deepest desires of your heart, a relationship with God himself. Now, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, let's stop and think about that. People do accomplish a lot of things apart from Jesus. I mean, you could make a lot of money on your own. You could raise a family on your own. You could even talk theology on your own. You could preach a sermon on your own. Some have pastored by not abiding in Christ. People have done that in their own strength, and it never has gone well long-term. But what Jesus is saying is that you can't do anything that pleases me. You can't do anything of eternal value in your own strength, on your own, so don't. Remain in me, abide in me, draw your strength from me. And the result, which is the third part of our sermon, will be a fruitful life. A fruitful life. I mean, who wants to live a fruitless life? A life that is meaningless, that is vain under the sun. Jesus wants to give us a life of purpose, gospel purpose, a fruitful life. Now, communication, actually, before I say that, let me just talk about what does that mean? What what does fruitfulness mean exactly here? And, and I certainly do think it can refer to gospel impact. We, we see uh, 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 scriptures that refer to uh, fruit being souls, 
You know, making a difference in this world for Christ, people hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, seeing the gospel lived out. And I think that's very all true and part of this. But I think the deeper meaning here when Jesus talks about fruit is what is within and radiates out. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. And as we live this way and it comes out, there will be tangible, there'll be a tangible mark in the world. There'll be a difference in your orbit as people see the Holy Spirit's work through you. But here we see in this passage, Jesus talking about three specific kinds of fruit. And actually there's a fourth that I'll get to as we land the plane. But the first of these three is fruitful prayer. If, if we abide in Christ, we will experience fruitful prayer. Now communication is a vital part of any personal relationship. You can't abide in Christ and not listen to his words. And what that means is we've got to start our day reading the Bible. This is his word. As, as, as Jesus spoke, the Holy Spirit um, inspired and the gospel writers wrote it down. And this is what the Lord wants us to know. This is his word. And so we can't live without it. This is how you listen to him. You can't abide apart from his word. And then you need to respond to his word with, with prayer. So you listen by reading the word and the spirit will speak to your soul and your heart through the power of his word. And we speak back through prayer. And both are referred to in verse seven. So Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words, my words, abide in you, ask, that is pray, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Really? You mean if I ask for a cherry red Ferrari, I'm going to get it? Hot dog, right? Well, some of you are shaking your head, saying, nope, you're missing it. Well, you know, Jesus said something similar in chapter 14, but, but notice that he said, ask in my name. John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So you see, if abiding, we will ultimately desire what he desires. So we won't be asking amiss selfishly, right? But we should be asking. We should be communicating. We should be talking. I've heard it said that Christian prayer is faith breathing. You know, you don't really think about breathing, right? I mean, there are times when you may, you know, you may be in a crisis situation and you have to think, breathe, okay? There may be times, but generally speaking, that's just something we do reflexively, right? Christian prayer is faith breathing, and that's when we're really praying to God and not to somebody else, if you know what I mean by that. Uh, you may say, well, I don't, I don't pray to, you know, uh, Muhammad or Buddha or anything else, but, but have you ever prayed to somebody else, like in a prayer meeting or something, and you're really praying to the people around you, right? Trying to impress them with your words, like Jesus said not to do. It's, it's, it's something that we can do. Uh, we can do it really quickly. But when we're really talking to God, Christian prayer is like faith breathing. And, and so what that means is we, we talk to God throughout our day. Don't think that God 
only cares about the big stuff or the formal petitions, but he cares about the decisions you make at the grocery store. He cares about how you drive. He cares about every aspect of your day. Last night, several guys got together over at Gwen Armfield's house and watched the movie Free Burma Rangers. It's actually a documentary about um, a, a guy named David Eubank who um, runs into combat zones to rescue uh, people who are trapped, civilians who are trapped in that kind of situation. And one thing that struck me is that as he does so, he's constantly praying to Jesus, asking Jesus for help. He's, he's not depending on himself or his team. He's ultimately depending on Jesus and asking Jesus for direction. Do I go right or do I go left? Um, help me. Help me not be discovered. Help me not be seen. Help me to, 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 to not give in to, to vindication and hate. But he's, he's, it's faith breathing coming out. And that is what it is to look like in the life of a Christian. And you don't have to be in a combat zone to ask Jesus for help. I remember my dad sharing with me back in his, his days of medical practice that he was normally usually asking the Lord for help while he was in the operating room uh, doing surgery. Now, maybe that comforts you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but he was asking God to guide his hands and to direct. And sometimes he'd get to a, a situation where he wasn't quite sure what to do, and he'd ask the Lord for help. And, and God would just kind of open that channel up. And you know what? He does the same thing when he's working on his car. And, and so should we. So whether you're studying for your test or balancing your checkbook, trying to make a decision about a relationship, may it be done in a spirit of prayer. God listens to the genuine prayers of his people, and people who pray sincerely see answers to prayer. It might not always be the one you wanted, but they see answers to prayer because God delights in listening to his people as they pray. So we see in verse 7 the fruit of prayer, but we also see in, uh, in, in verse 9 through 10 obedient love. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, now we need to remember that we don't earn his love through our obedience. His love is unconditional. He, 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 He loved us while we were still sinners, when Christ died for us. So we've got that. If you're in Christ, you have his love. He says that he loves us in the same manner that his father loves him. That's incredible. He loves you. Even while he's pruning you, he loves you. So we don't earn his love through our obedience, but we demonstrate our love through our obedience. And frankly, we diagnose it as well because obedience is the fruit of love. So if you want to know that you really love God, the question is, and Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You can't love Jesus and intentionally, continually pursue sin. You know, some have said, Jesus knows that I love him, but I'm going to forsake my spouse for another. Somebody called that spiritual insanity, saying, quote, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't follow what Jesus says. That's a contradiction. It's frankly hypocrisy because the Bible says faith without works is dead. Obedience to Christ is not drudgery. It's love and it's freedom 
from the chains of sin. He knows what's best for you, and part of following Jesus is believing that he knows what's best for us, even when he gives us his commandments. Therefore, our good. Well, finally, we see in our text this morning that the third kind of fruit in the life of the Christian who's abiding in the vine is that of inward joy. Verse 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now you might say, you know, that's, that's easy to say, but I'm in a time of sorrow. And you know what? Um, Christians should be honest about their sorrow. We do live in a fallen, broken world in which there is deep pain, physical pain, emotional pain. There's loss in this world. And we even read that Jesus was a man of sorrow. He was very acquainted with our griefs. And on the cross, he bore it all. And yet, Jesus was a man of joy. So therefore, it's possible to go through a time of sorrow and yet have joy deep in your heart. Someone has said that in the times of greatest sorrow or struggle, we can experience heaven's peace experienced now in an unpeaceful world. I want to encourage you to remember that the song that we sing, in all my sorrows, Jesus is greater. Make my heart believe. And, and call out to him. Express your sorrow and your grief and your struggling and maybe even your doubts to him so that he might refresh your spirit with his presence and his joy that comes from a walk with him. Inward joy. Well, as we land the plane, I want to give you a little preview of Robbie's sermon next week. And I, and I hope that I'm not, um, he, he's kind of going, oh boy. Um, you know, here I am, uh, Robbie, just totally kind of, you know, putting up the guardrails and the parameters for your sermon. Hey, you preach, brother, whatever you think God has is, God is, uh, got a saying. But we actually talked about this text together this week a little bit. And what we see here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. So this applies not just to those 11, but to us today who are disciples, right? This applies to the church, to Christ's church today, because we are his vineyard. When I say we, I don't mean just Rocky Bayou Baptist Church. I mean his universal church. The true Christians, true, pe- true, true, true branches who are in that vine all over this world, right? Throughout culture and, and space and even time, we are his vineyard that he is growing, that he is crafting, that he is pruning and tending and caring for, right? We are this creation of Christ together. And that means that there's a lot of branches all connected to Christ and therefore connected to one another. And so here's the point I want to make, um, stealing his thunder just a little bit for next week. True love for brothers and sisters is the fruit of a true branch that is abiding in the vine. You can't be in the same vine and not care for the other branches. Does that make sense? We're all in this together. Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's fun loving another brother and sister or sister, right? I mean, there's encouragement. There's, there's joy in it. But you know, sometimes it's not. And, and I'm going to quote Robbie. Um, I didn't get his permission, but we had a good conversation, and I think he said this. 
If someone is telling you the truth, it is less likely that you will be cut off by God. Catch that? Think about that in the picture of the whole, right? Maybe you're struggling, like, am I really uh, a living branch? Um, I don't want to be cut off. Guess what? It's less likely you're going to be cut off if someone is speaking gospel truth into your life. And so what responsibilities do we have for one another, right? Should it be stay on the surface or is it gospel truth that we all need to hear? You know, we're in this together, right? Membership matters. That's our theme for the year. So let me close with a question. If, if you, in your uh, Christian life, in your experience with his church, you see a dying branch, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, even though it does hurt, because your chief aim is not our comfort in this life, but your glory in us and our fruitfulness in this life and our glory in the next. We thank you that you are the vine dresser, Heavenly Father. We thank you for a faithful vine to be connected to, to abide in, who has done it, who has been faithful who has shown us how to live and who has given his life for ours. So I pray that you would help us to remain in him, help us to abide in him, help us to look to him in the big things and in the little things. And I pray in his great name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and Hero. Amen.